Hey everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Sunday Soother Advice Cast. This is a podcast that comes out every Sunday, and I answer your questions about how to live your life with more meaning, intention, and spirit. I'm Catherine, your host. I'm a writer and editor living in Washington, D.C., and I also write the Sunday Soother newsletter, which is a weekly newsletter about practical ways to live more spiritually and meaningfully. So a lot of the times I talk about bigger issues, but today I am taking a question from a reader that is about um, not like a small issue, but maybe a more practical, tangible, earthly issue. It's about work and management. So it's important. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but first, if you want your question to be answered on this advice cast, you just have to head to tinyletter.com slash Andrews, and you can submit your questions there anonymously. Um, or if you're watching this on Facebook, you can just drop your questions on this page or in the comments below. Um, I've got a few ideas for episodes and questions and areas I want to talk about for future episodes of this podcast. And I'm going to be talking about that at the end of uh, this question. So stay tuned because I would really like to hear your input on that. But for now, let's go ahead and get to our question. Our reader and listener writes, I'm being promoted, which is awesome. And for the first time, I will have people reporting to me. I keep waiting for instructions about how I'm supposed to manage them, but they don't seem to be coming. I want to make sure I'm a good boss and manager, but I don't really know where to start or to find the best training. Any tips? Well, reader, you are in luck because this is an area of mine that I'm kind of obsessed with. Um, The fact that we uh, never get training on management when we're promoted to be managers. You know, some companies may have formal trainings in place, and which is really good. But for the most part, you're sort of just thrown in and expected to figure it out. So I actually wrote about this a long time ago, um, a big piece on Medium that kind of had a popular response, because I think a lot of people resonated with it, about 10 things you need to do um, the second you become a manager of other people. So there's a lot of reasons we need to think about this more critically in the way we are in the world today, right? Like, people are promoted to managers with no training, and for no reason necessarily, not because they are like necessarily pegged as a person who would be a good manager, but just because it is like the main way of advancement in somebody's career. Um... And sometimes these people are not even interested in being managers, which is totally understandable. Not everybody should be a manager. Not everybody has to want to be a manager. It is really not for everybody. And the fact is, though, that in American workplace culture, management equals advancement. And so I really do think, and this is a subject for another time, there should be more paths for advancement for people who do not want to manage. Um, And the fact is also that managing in and of itself can often become an entire job Right. So like you have like your job and your work or whatever you do, plus the management of a team. And I, I I really do think the management of a team in and of itself is an entire job, which means you can't really necessarily be doing the work that you were doing beforehand, at least not as well. But anywho, um, it's frustrating. Right. And I think the reason that we don't have better instructions about how to be a manager or how to talk about it with other people is that nobody gave your boss instructions and nobody gave your boss's boss instructions. And Uh, We just don't talk about it and sort of cross our fingers and hope that everything sort of works out. And I also think it's because managing people well comes down to um, really good communication and empathy and being open with each other. And that's not something that a lot of us know how to do either. So let's get going to my 10 things that I think are going to be really important for you as a manager. And I'm, you know, applaud you for like wanting to find good training and figure out if this is a path for you and figure out resources because yeah, it's going to take 
a lot of work to be a decent manager. Um, so first things first is it's important to figure out if you have the makings of a good manager and it's okay if you don't think you do. Being bad at management does not mean you are not smart or good at your job or not a good person. You know, you may be somebody who works best alone or you may not have great interpersonal skills. You may not be great at giving feedback or you may not be interested or emotionally available in developing other people. You may be interested in the details of your work, not sort of the broad strategy strategy or vision um, that may be required to manage a team. You may not be organized. You may not be good at keeping, keeping people on track. And you may be preferred to be recognized for your own individual achievements instead of being really proud when other people under you achieve and shine. So if you are being promoted to be a manager and you do recognize yourself in any of those skills, um, that's fine. It just it doesn't mean that you're not going to be a good manager. It just means let's be a little bit realistic and self-aware about how you need to sort of shift the way you're operating in the world to be a better manager. So I think um, taking personality assessment tests in this case can be really good. Gallup Strengths Finder is a really good one. Um, I've taken it and consistently my top strengths fall in the relationship building domain. And one of my top strengths is developer, which means that I really thrive when I'm developing other people, which I think is a good skill for a manager to have. Um, But if you have a strength of competition, for example, you may have to remind yourself that you're not competing against reports, right? Um, There's also a great Harvard Business Review uh, leadership blind spot test that you can take that will help you understand sort of your leadership style. And in the way that you lead, there may be blind spots that you have to think about critically. So I will link to that in the show notes. Encourage you to take it. Second, you need to become as fast as you can comfortable with giving critical feedback and constructive criticisms and having sort of open conversations about this stuff. What makes a weak or poor manager is the inability to have critical conversations in a firm but kind and respectful way. And the fact is your reports want feedback, right? Like nobody likes just sort of existing in a vacuum, like hoping they're sort of trying to do the thing and not hearing from one person or another if they're doing badly or doing well. So you will have to learn the skill. Um, And even if you have like your reports are the most perfect dream employees in the world and you never have to give them critical feedback, you're going to have to navigate topics with them regardless that are related to emotions, money, promotions, raises, family situations, anything else. So you do need to become better at giving um, like open feedback. And the best way to start, I think, is the easiest So if you have to give one of your reports uh, feedback that may be a little bit awkward or tough or maybe a little bit negative, one, know that they would really rather know (laughs) that this is the thing so that they can work on it. So you're doing them a favor. And I really think you can just say, hey, this is going to be kind of awkward, but there's some feedback that I need to give you. So setting the stage for a potentially awkward conversation is just the best way to normalize the situation and sort of acknowledge the inherent difficulty of it all. I always do get asked, how can I tell my report, you know, fill in the blank about something negative without making either of us uncomfortable? And newsflash, you can't. (laughs) So, but you can practice critical conversations. They're just like developing a physical muscle. The more you do them, the better you get at them. But you got to start somewhere. So I would critic- I would Google resources on giving feedback, understanding feedback, and really just throw yourself into it. You just need to be firm, kind, respectful, and acknowledge any potential awkwardness. 
Third, you need to have an introductory, hey, I'm your manager meeting now, right? Like the fact that you are now somebody's boss is actually a really big deal, but it's not something that we recognize with any sort of like ritual or transition. And I think it's important to do that. So all you need to do is have a brief sit down with your report, marking the start of your new relationship together and learn about each other's working style. So the second um, you have a new report, like it's official, official, and you need to make sure that they know that you're <laughs> that you're their new boss, because sadly, sometimes it happens that people get new bosses and are not told that they are getting a new boss. They are not aware of it. So make sure that like it has been communicated to them so you're not sort of just jumping on them in surprise. Um, swing by their desk and be like, I'm so excited we're going to be working together. Let's set up a brief meeting and talk a little bit more about your goals and your projects and your working style. And just show them that you're there for them and that you're marking the start of a new relationship together. Um, you know, and it's worth it to learn a little bit about their life. You do not and should not be best friends with your employees, but having a personal rapport is critical to creating a baseline of trust and emotions that will then, um, I guess what I mean to say rather is that if you should, if you show that you personally care about your report and that you're invested in sort of their well-being and happiness, and you've made the time to know a little bit about their life, it's going to make it easier down the road if you do have to have critical conversations with them because they'll have learned to trust you. So do that. Um, And in the sit down, you may ask them about their goals at work, um, their style of working and communicating. Like, do they prefer to get assignments over email or in person or chat? Um, What are they proud of? What are they struggling with? And ask them, how do they like to be recognized for their work? What makes them feel energized? What might drain them? And what are their main two or three professional goals for the year? Make sure to be taking this down in a shared document that you can refer to later, right? And I know this does seem like a lot of work, but the fact is managing well is a lot of work. It is a lot of emotional investment and documentation and conversations, you know, so managing people well, yeah, it's hard. It's a lot of work. Managing people poorly, on the other hand, takes almost no work. So, I mean, you can definitely do that, but that's not what I recommend. So... I would also say if you're being handed a new employee from another manager who's leaving or moving to a different position, I would do a handoff meeting with you, the former boss, and the reports where you can all three be on the same page about current goals, current projects, and what's going on. Number four, I would have your report and you take a personality test or two to understand how you can complement each other. I really believe that high emotional intelligence makes for strong managers. But you don't have to be born with emotional intelligence. That's very common for most of us to not have been born with it or to have developed it or ever been taught it. Um, You need to understand things about yourself, like your blockers, your motivators, what energizes you, what drains you, what blind spots you have. And you need to know those same things about your reports. So I think the DISC personality test is really good. Um, It assesses your mode of operating in the world and the kind of conflict style you have. And I mentioned strengths finders before, and I think that is also really, really useful. So I would take these tests and maybe schedule a meeting with your report to go over them. And we know what did you learn about each other? Sort of share that information. Let's see. Number five. Whoops, sorry. Um, Schedule a weekly 30-minute touch base and never cancel it. (laughs) This isn't rocket science, but you'd be surprised about how many managers just don't ever meet with their reports one-on-one. And a 30-minute touch base each week is a chance to check in on everything from the status of a project to challenges. And even if there's not even a project or work to talk about, it's just like, hey, let's just talk for 30 minutes and see what's going on in each other's lives. And you don't don't cancel these repeatedly. Of course, stuff comes up and you may have to schedule uh, it for another time or postpone it. But it's so disrespectful to like 
immediately, you know, repeatedly cancel the one and only time your report may have to talk to you because something else comes up or maybe at some level you don't want to be doing it. But it's perfectly fine, you know, especially when you don't have something to talk about. I think it's actually important to keep those meetings going. And you can just say, I don't have much to talk about this week work-wise, but like what's been going on for you this week? And those meetings engendered trust and are setting the foundation for a solid boss-employee relationship. So make sure that you schedule those weekly touch bases. You know, if you have a lot of reports, maybe they're bi-weekly, that's fine. But just don't cancel them. Keep them keep them at the time that they are. Make a commitment and live up to it. Six, you want to give your report clear expectations on what you want. Setting expectations can be a really fruitful thing for your employees and for yourself. And people want to do well at work. They want to know what they are expected to do. But they're not mind readers. Um, and also... People are clueless. (laughs) I always think about this report I had in a different job a long time ago who would just be showing up past 9 a.m. like constantly. And everybody else showed up at 9 a.m. And I couldn't understand why this person like just couldn't get it together to show up, you know, at 9 a.m. And I was just like sitting there stewing, resentful and grumble. And one time, like I finally was like, I can't do this. I got to like tell this person this most basic of things. And I told them, you know, hey, you you show up regularly at 930. But the office expectation is that people be here at 9am. This report like had their mind blown. They had literally no idea that was the expectation. They didn't they weren't like picking up on the cues that everybody else was already there when they showed up at work. And they were ashamed and embarrassed. And they like fixed it immediately. Right. So they understood my baseline expectation. And really, I hadn't been treating them fairly by not telling them that particular expectation. Um, and putting it, you know, into actual words. So you gotta, you gotta put those expectations out there. If you're finding yourself resentful or wondering why your report isn't doing something you think they should know how to do, you need to like say it in words that, hey, this is a thing. Maybe there's some been some misunderstanding, but they need to be doing X, Y, Z thing, A, B, C sort of way. So setting expectations applies from everything to when do you want your employee to show up, to what an appropriate dress code is, to what kind of specific deliverable you expect on a project. Nobody is a mind reader, and you're a boss now, which means that you have to do sometimes uncomfortable things, including telling people what you want. But guess what? You are the boss now. Your job is to tell people what you want. So just sort of learn to own that. Seven, learn to delegate. Okay, we all know that, but... Add coaching into the delegation mix. So we all hear about delegation as an important skill for any manager to master, and I definitely think it is. But delegation with coaching is where you will really see success, both in the work and the development of your employee. So the difference is this. What I mean by delegation with coaching is that there's this big project that you think your employee, Mary, is ready to take on. Delegation is this. You say, hey, Mary, I want you to do that presentation for two weeks for the board on these widgets. Good luck. And then delegation with coaching looks like this. Hey, Mary, I want you to do the presentation in two weeks to the board about our widgets. Here is a one pager I've drawn up with the critical elements the presentation must include. And, you know, if I were doing the report, I would make sure to probably include X, Y, and Z. But that is my preference. I'm just telling you that to give you a model. And I want you to approach it how you think it's best. Please turn in a draft of the presentation to me in one week and we can review it together. I can give you feedback and make sure it meets my expectations. And then you'll have one more week to make tweaks and practice. So there's delegation, but then there's delegation with coaching. So that's a really powerful tool and you should be using it. Number eight, understand that a large part of becoming a manager just means more meetings. 
there's not much more to this piece of advice than that fact. I'm sorry. <laughs> Managers have to deal with a lot of stuff. You have to deal with project deliverables, development of your team members, leadership meetings, HR meetings, one-on-ones. So just embrace that meeting life, you know? Try not to resent it. Um, you Make sure to take care of yourself. You don't want to be just completely burned out by a series of never-ending meetings. So you do have to figure out for yourself which meetings are critical and which are not and sort of how to work that into your schedule. But it's a, it is, I found, a very real fact of manager life. So number nine, you need to immediately learn your company's process for promotion and raise cycles as well as HR policies. This is huge, right? You're not now only responsible for a person's success and their work, but you must understand about everything about how HR operates at your company, because you're going to encounter the following situations. People are going to ask for a raise. People are going to ask for promotions. People are going to ask for time off. People are going to come to you with complicated situations, including family situations, mental health situations, issues with other coworkers. Um, People are going to quit. Like You need to know these things and how your company likes to deal with them and how and when you should be going to HR and and if and when you should be going to HR. Most companies should have an employee HR handbook, so you should read that cover to cover. Um, You know, if your boss is not doing this for you as you become a boss, schedule a meeting with your HR department to go over what the raise and promotion cycle looks like, as well as everything from vacation policies to dress codes, sexual harassment policies to mental health coverage, everything like that. I should say, like, HR, you know, the people who work in HR are great, but if you're working for a corporation, the HR department is not there for you or your employee, really. They're there to protect the interest and the liability of the company. But that said, it is really worth it to take advantage of knowing that department and everything that they have to offer because, you know, you are responsible for that for yourself and for other people now. Last but not least... Uh, having gone through these nine things, number 10, you may not be surprised to find out that managing is emotionally draining. So you need to create boundaries and self-care spaces. Managing is exhausting. You're setting vision, you're assigning work, you're dealing with interpersonal problems, you're trying to do your own work, people are coming to you for advice. So don't feel bad if you feel tired. You know, learn to take mental health days, set boundaries with your reports. You know, setting the boundary means, yes, they can come to you if they're having issues completing a work project. No, they cannot come to you to figure out your, their issues with their girlfriend. Um, so say somebody is coming up to you and like they're like, oh my God, my girlfriend like is the worst. I don't know what to do about this. And you can say, hey, bub, you know, that sounds like a complicated issue. I really do wish I could help, but I am not qualified to deal with um, sort of that personal issue. And when we talk, I'd like to keep the focus here on conversations about projects in your job. But good luck and then move on to discussion about an actual work project. And I really do think it's important to not check email or Slack after hours constantly. I mean, you're going to have to do it, but at the very least, don't send Slacks or emails after hours. Um, It does send the message to your team that permeating boundaries of work time is acceptable for everybody, which will lead to more emotional exhaustion and boundary crossing. Um... So I think there are a lot of great resources out there for you to be reading. Lara Hogan has a wonderful blog uh, all about management and communication. She does it more in the STEM side, engineering, but it's really, really useful. So Google Lara Hogan. Um, She talks about manager energy drain, giving feedback, personal review cycles, and I find her really useful. I do find Harvard Business Review actually has like a lot of great articles, um, so they are worth checking out. And talking to your friends about this, making sure you have a cohort of people who are also managing that maybe can give you advice about situations where you're like, "Uh, is this crazy? Like, am I crazy for 
like wanting to do this particular thing or is the situation normal? So making sure you have a peer group outside of work where you can sort of like check your gut and everything. So I also wanted to answer a few questions that came in on Instagram about work. Um, There are a few here, some really good questions. So how to discipline without coming across as mean? How can you do that? Um, For me, this is all about... Uh, and Lara Hogan has a really good post on this too. It is about um, naming. So sitting down, one, you do have to have a critical conversation. So you have to sit down and be like, hey, I need to talk to you about something that happened that wasn't acceptable or that went wrong and help you understand what it was. You um, failed to turn in your report last week on time. And this is the third time that that has happened we're going to have to have a critical conversation about why this is happening and you need to understand the ramifications of that going forward. So you need to name the action, right? You need to name the consequences of that action, right? The action that they've been failing at is turning, they're turning in reports late. The consequences is that it affects other people's work and they're not able to turn in their reports on time. And, um, The other consequences are that, you know, they can't keep doing this and it's affecting how people are viewing them at work. And then you need to help talk to um, each other about a solution. So that's not mean, right? That's firm and it's setting clear expectations. So as long as you are naming, helping them understand the consequences and talking about what needs to happen going forward... Um, I think that is your best bet for doing that. You also need to check yourself. Like, are you feeling like a huge amount of resentment at this person? Um, Because then your conversation with that person is going to be colored by that. And there may be some personal issues at hand. So you need to try to detach yourself emotionally if possible and focus on the consequences at work and explain those calmly and clearly. And don't mistake firmness for meanness. Um, You know, explaining something clearly and firmly and the ramifications and why it can't happen is not mean, it's helpful. And you just have to sort of trust your gut on that one. But do make sure that you're not infusing that conversation with a sense of resentment, because that will definitely come across. Um, how do I know if I'm really fit to be a manager? <laughs> I don't know, man. How do any of us know? Um, I guess you have to really think about why you want to manage. You know, does it feel good to develop other people? Do you want to manage because you think like you should do it because you want to like be seen as a leader? Um, Do you believe in the mission of your company and you think managing other people is really like the best way to advance that mission? Um, Thinking about your motivations for management and naming them and writing them all down is a good start for Uh, figuring out why you want to be a manager. I mean, I think anybody has the capacity to really be a manager. It's really just figuring out if you're willing and wanting to do it and willing to work on some of your blind spots. But you do have to question your assumptions about why you want to be a manager. And again, I think a lot of people are told and taught and we learn, and this is totally normal and fine, that management is a path to like glory and like recognition um, an advancement, and it is the case in a lot of careers. So, like, do you want to manage because you want those things, or which is fine to want those things, or do you want to manage because you really like helping people and you thrive the best when you're sort of developing others and setting vision? So, go ahead and like journal a little bit on why you want to manage, and I think some things will sort of come out from there. <sighs> Let's see. 
how to manage the right flow of info to your reports. Um, I guess this is a little hard to answer without more context. You know, are you trying to prevent them from knowing information or are you trying to prevent them from not from getting overloaded with too much information? Um, I'm a big believer in transparency. So I like, you know, have conversations in open channels at Slack that state sort of expectations for the team. Um, if I'm talking about projects that involve more than one person, I'll have those people in the same room and we can talk about it. So you're not having like a side conversation with this person and then a side conversation with that person. Um, I always think about like, is the, just the context around it. Do they need to know this? Um, do they need to know this to do their job? What are the reasons I don't want them to have this information? Um, and thinking about like, is there, you know, personal ramifications for them having this information? Um, you know, what what's the context for the information? What they need to know in terms of information, they need to know to do their job for comprehension, right? And there's lots of information that reports don't need to know about decisions that are being made at a higher level because it just does not affect their job. Um, you have to make sure, on the other hand, that you're not giving too much information to everybody. Like, I think I actually err a little bit too much on that side, and it can be kind of exhausting for me. And I have, like, a really strong sense of, like, fairness, and I want to make sure that, like, everybody's, like, totally aware of everything, and everybody feels bought in, and nobody feels left out. And so that can be a little exhausting, because sometimes the information that I'm sharing, you know, in the name of transparency isn't really, like, that critical, and I just end up sort of exhausting myself by making sure that everybody knows everything. So just finding the balance for the sense of information that people need to do for context for their job and decisions that aren't going to affect them, um, and thinking a little bit more about that. And how do you get cultural changes that you implemented to stick when you're not there? Again, this is a little hard to answer without more information. I don't know what you mean by cultural changes, um, because that's a tricky one. Like setting workplace culture is a really, really hard thing to do. But um, I guess you have to ask, where did these cultural changes come from? Why did they happen? And did they they have buy-in from most of the staff? Um, Because if they were just cultural changes that happened just at the leadership level, um, those aren't going to stick, right? Like, unless everybody, you know, unless the cultural change is that everybody, you know, gets to leave at 3 p.m. every day, that'll probably work. Um, so you need to, like, ask how did the, what was the origin of the cultural change? What was the investment of the staff? Like, were they brought in at some level to have input at on that cultural change? Do you have people who can enforce that culture change and who have bought into it when you're not there, who really believe in it? Um, and those, you know, do you have proxies? So those are useful, like, but it really starts the origin of the cultural change, because if it was something that happened outside of the decision of everybody else, um, and they don't really like it, like, you can't just like, yell at them and put up a sign that says they have to do it, it's just not gonna work. So you could revisit that cultural change. And if it's not working, ask your staff, like, why isn't this working? Like, why don't people seem to want to do this? Is there something I'm not understanding? And sort of work backwards from there. So hopefully that was helpful. It's a lot of management talk. And there's a lot to um, being a manager, you know, and I don't normally talk about like a lot of work stuff on this podcast. Um, I talk about 
you know, stuff that relates to work. I talk more about community and spirit and intention and meaning and like knowing ourselves. But work is like a huge part of where we spend all of our days. So if you are moving into a new role, it is it is worth it to be like really thoughtful about, you know, how are you going to be in that role? Like, what are the resources available to you to do that? So I wish you luck as a new manager. And I think you're smart to look for training. I think you should be proactive about it. I have to say, if the training hasn't come from your boss or your company by now, it's probably not going to. So definitely Google around for resources and make sure um, mostly that you're just keeping open communication, respect and fairness to your reports and you're setting structure for them and that you're communicating your mental expectations or not being a mind reader. You're not asking them to be a mind reader and you guys have an easy flow of communication and respect going. So good luck to you. I hope it's awesome. You're going to do great. So that's it for today's Sunday Soother Advice Cast. We have two episodes left in this season. Then I'm going to have a break. And next season is going to be all about self-esteem, confidence, self-worth, and why we struggle with it. So I would love to hear your questions and thoughts on that. Email me your questions at kathdandrews at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 202-525-6558. Or you can head to tinyletter.com slash candrews to submit your questions and thoughts anonymously. Thank you so much for listening. And here's to living the week ahead with lots of thoughtfulness, connection, and meaning.